Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a sandwich and a net. Okay, so for today, we're going to go through um, questions that people have sent in last week. So um, hopefully we can get through all of these in a decent amount of time. If not, we're just going to try to make sure we get to the good ones. Or probably, the, I guess, the ones we can probably provide the best answers for. So we'll start with our good friend, George, who uh, definitely took up half the question slots. Um, so we'll cover one-tenth of George's questions here first. So first question from George. Uh, let's start with a kind of easy one. What resources do you guys like? And I'm assuming he's meaning resources in terms of... Like oil. Uh, yeah. Big oil guy. <laughs> what resources do you guys like? I'm assuming he means in terms of learning or... That's probably what I would say in terms of education or uh, reliable resources. So his, his questions are relating podcasts, books... IG influencers, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, what like if you just had had to say like a podcast um, that you regularly listen to for whatever reason, I guess. I, I, let's just try to keep it related to fitness or education in some format. So, Scott, Spiral Up podcast. That's basically the only training podcast I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> that's no joke, actually. <laughs> yeah, Tom uh either science of ultra or uh steve magnus and marcus's the on coaching mm -hmm. and then occasionally i'll listen to the big dogs one but mm -hmm. they haven't been putting out anything jay uh you keep sending us articles and stuff to read man like <laughs> um i got it there's so much out there i i let's just go with podcasts first i don't listen to the podcasts on fitness man like i don't i don't know so if there's a lot of really, really, I don't know how to say it. I don't want to talk smack, but like, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like Scott was saying, like we talk, I listen to us. Like I, <laughs> I, I like my echo chamber, man. It's awesome. Yeah, I like man. Myself. <laughs> you're so smart. No, you're so smart. <laughs> That's awesome. That was a really good point. Yeah. yeah. I used to listen to, uh, I think it was called weightlifting talk, Greg Everett and, mm -hmm. Uh, Ursula, I can't remember her last name. But yeah, they don't. They haven't done that in a long time. But no, I found that very informative and really quite entertaining. Um, yeah, but again, yeah, yeah Greg, that's a good, probably a year. Yeah, Greg's uh, Greg Everett Catalyst Athletics. His uh, his little short videos he puts out on YouTube or on they're Instagram are they're fantastic. Yeah, um, they get right to the point. Um, they're clear, and he he also provides other examples and counterexamples. It's just it's good stuff. <clears throat> for me i would like be like tom so um <clears throat> i like the science of ultra because they end up having like usually endurance uh shows right they have they usually end up getting lots of really good subject uh, matter experts and like you're talking top of the top uh people that you can come on and they'll talk about some uh, whatever you want to discuss it's fantastic um and then the other one steve and mag steve magnus that one's pretty good um there's another one like called uh, Sigma Radio with Danny Lemon. That's a good one. 
or Lennon is his name? Lemon, Lennon? Anyway, Sigma, Sigma Nutrition Radio. Uh, what else do I regularly listen to? That's probably it. Um, I'd say I'm more like Jason with that. Most of the stuff I don't actually listen to that much. Uh, okay, what about books? Anything specific on that? Um, yeah, like for me, I'd say with books, uh, like right now I'm reading a marathon training book. Um, and then there's lots of, there's tons of, tons of good books, uh, but I, I'm much more, right now I'm much more inclined to look through uh, research articles and uh, uh, peer-reviewed articles. And uh, usually, <clears throat> like I explained to someone else yesterday or day before, there's lots of good, there's lots of great articles. And then the reference list within those articles are very good as well, usually. And then that just can help you uh, to try to get to the starting point of where this, of where the argument might come from. Um, if you're first hearing it, um, like for example, this marathon reading, marathon book I'm reading uh, is a really good chapter on coping with stress and models of coping with stress and like basically these psychological theories that were developed decades ago. And then they keep referencing this one author. So you just look it up in the reference list and be like, okay, this is cool. So let's go get this article where this psychological theory was, was uh, basically developed specifically for endurance sports where they took the psychological theory and then tried to apply it specifically to endurance sports. It's like, okay, let's go read that. So that's how I like to do a lot of, uh, a lot of my learning actually. Scott? Yeah, I don't read, I mean, I read a lot of books, um, more so now, but a lot of it's more for pleasure. I have read. And for your kids. <laughs> yeah, like the wonky donkey and the hunger, hunger hippo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I read Stephen Guinea's book, The Hungry Brain. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, oh, that was great. Yeah. I read Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep recently, actually, just finished that not long ago. Yeah. Um, and just books like that, not really necessarily pertaining to training, but just kind of the, um, you know, the accessories to training. Yeah. And, and like you said, like, like you were saying, like any training related reading I doing is, I do is articles. And a lot of them, you kind of, you read them and you're like, Hey, this is a really good article yeah. and show them to us or, um, and that's pretty much the extent of it for me. Um, uh, yeah, as far as books, I don't really. Uh, more for pleasure as well. Um, I usually just recommend indoor or like how bad do you want it to everybody. But other than those, I don't have any like recommendations for fitness books. Indoor yeah, and, great too, actually. Yeah. And like I was yeah. mentioning, right with indoor, if you, I, I'm not sure how they, how they reference it uh, with the chapters. Cause again, I haven't, I haven't read indoor. I've listened to it three times during my runs. <laughs> um, so the, at the end of each chapter, do they have reference lists or is it at the end of the book? It's at the end of the book. Yeah. Okay. Um, so similar type of thing as I was saying, right? Like within each one of those chapters, there'll be top notch uh, information and top notch references. So you would want to go and then go from there and go, okay, well he keeps talking, like for example, the start of the book he keeps talking about Tim Noakes and then starts talking about Samuel Marcora. So you don't want to just take that information from the book. You want to understand it from the book and then go, all right, let's dig into this and let's look through this. Cause there's a plethora of articles and discussion uh, that you can find uh, with just those two people, for example. Uh, it's just, and it's great. And yeah, any, there's more examples to that. So the IG influencers, who you got? Uh, me, I, I, I purposefully try to delete anybody that, uh, that does that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. so 
I'm not sure what it's got. My follow list is very small. It's basic clients and you guys. I don't really follow any influencer per se. So that's an easy answer for me. But who are those people influence? That's a great question. Like, who are they influencing? I was like, well, I'm sure they'll influence some people, but um, for me, it's not going to influence me at all. Like going going back to like the, the the books and stuff like that. Like, there's stuff that I read long ago, and it's kind of yeah. you just kind of like internalize it as part of how you understand fitness. And then the, the stuff that I read or listen to now is stuff that that kind of ex, I want to say builds on my understanding of it so the only thing that's really dramatically changed in the last I would say year is my understanding of the psychological impact on training like the the, the injure how bad do you want it the stuff that comes from Marker and Noakes and their arguments and and yeah. even DNA's idea of of food isn't the driver of obesity it's behavior yeah <laughs> like, like those things are just like Whereas stuff yeah. that like <laughs> they're <laughs> that so go, simple, but they yeah. explain a lot. Whereas you go back like five years, I was totally engrossed in super training. Like I mm -hmm. read that and I was like, I shouldn't have read it. <laughs> it's like, it's, but having that stuff as the background, like yeah. you need, you need that to now build on like how simple and how impactful the, the argument on psychology is on what actually mm -hmm. happens in training and, and, competition and stuff like that so when you're get, I, I personally think once you get to that point i don't care what fucking some instagram model says i don't care at all yeah so i know tom's been wanting to answer this so tom your ig influencer who is it uh nobody i uh <laughs> only on twitter follow a few like uh people in the field i guess and those are the only ones that i look at for so another question from uh george is common mistakes when people um, getting back into training after a hiatus. And I believe I directed uh, George to one of our previous podcasts about COVID training considerations. You should go listen to that. If you uh, are wondering about some basic principles with that and like leaving a scenario of having very little equipment and then going back to a full on gym and how you should probably approach that. Next question from George. Why is George more handsome than Nick and how does he do it? Um, that's, you know, some things are, you, you just can't answer. It's, uh, it'll go on for years. Okay. Talk about the value of slowing down your training or going down in weight to improve your form. Again, that's from George. So Tom, uh, sorry, Tom, Scott, you can start with that. Yeah. So that one, I think, um, Depends on the person, but I'm going to speak in the context of George because it's something that we've gone ahead and done given the current circumstance that we're in. He's and for, conte for context, you're George's coach. Yeah, I'm George's coach. Um, so just given the uh, limited access to equipment, I mean, he does have substantial weight now at his, at his condo, but um, I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of slow things down given the current situation that we're all living through with COVID. Um, cause he was struggling in certain aspects of his training and, and mainly I think he's, he's asking about, uh, weightlifting and decreasing weight and weightlifting to improve technique. Um, cause George has just kind of, once he gets to a certain weight and like most, like a lot of people, uh, once he gets to a certain weight, then his mechanics start to change. And then that impacts obviously his higher end numbers. His strength numbers are actually 
quite good. His squatting numbers, his pulling strength is quite good, but his weightlifting numbers don't reflect that. And it's all technical. So um, we've just taken this next cycle where I think we're two weeks into it, maybe three weeks into it now um, and lighten things down and really focus on technique uh, and positions in his major lifts. So doing a lot of accessory movements in conjunction with the full lifts um, to try and improve those positions and, and improve the technique so that he can bump those higher, uh, higher end numbers up a little bit. Um, and it's not going to be a drastic change initially because he it is going to take some time because he has some habits that need to be broken because he's been doing it this way for a long time, lifting this way for a long time. Um, but if we can just kind of reinforce proper mechanics and proper patterns and we'll slowly see those numbers kind of creep up and, and close the gap between his strength numbers and his weightlifting numbers. And that's kind of the goal. Good. Okay. Um, so uh, next question from uh, George. Uh, what's your mental preparation like? Um, so just quickly, I'll go first because uh, just speaking specifically for running. Um, and I, I've thought about this for a while because I have, there's a, I'm not sure if any, well, I'm sure a bunch of people have Garmin watches, but there's a, like for my watch, there's two screens options. The first screen, there's three layers on the little on the little screen here like this. And um, for the first one, uh, the first screen, I think it's the top one is the top score uh, metric is distance. The next metric is current pace per kilometer. And the next metric is average pace for the duration of the run. And then the next screen I have, uh, the top one is, uh, I believe it's heart rate. The middle one is pace uh, per kilometer. And the bottom one is SMO2 and THB from Moxie. So I always like to think of that as like, so you, when I do intensive runs usually, or some, something that would be reflective of what I'm trying to really push, I only have screen one. I only look at screen one. I don't care about screen two at all. Like I don't care what my heart rate is. I don't care what my... Uh, SMO2 or THB levels are. It's not of concern to me. I'll check it afterwards because it's just interesting to have. All I'm concerned about is the distance I've covered, um, the pace I'm going, and what I'm trying to achieve. So it's a, it's a, it's a, that's like a, a, a numeric version of my mental preparation. So when my training sessions are meant to be training sessions, my mental preparation is much different than if it's supposed to be an intensive, important, competitive testing type session. So that's how you should dictate it. So like if you're going, if you're going into every single workout, um, like again, having to do, having to get smelling salts and ammonia out, then uh, I think you might be approaching your training a little differently. Like many times you should be able to just work your way into it and the mental preparation or the mental, I guess, uh, requirements will go along with the training session. Um, so like you go from part A to part B to part C, okay. Um, I would say the mental preparation would just be, like in the CrossFit setting is you have to be focused on what you're doing and not, um, and not get the, get or and not lose focus or get distracted through each piece. Um, and then, yeah, but it's just be, it'd be different depending on, uh, what the workout is specifically or what the training session is and what it entails. So I'll just let someone else jump in there. I think there's like different mental states that you want to be able to achieve, just like you're saying, um, depending on the goal of the, session and even what part of this like where you are within each session like if i'm gonna do a heavy lifting session that's that's and if it's at the beginning my 
my mental state is very different than mm-hmm. um, even towards the end of a session where it's a it's a hard aerobic piece. Yeah, like they're just completely different. Um, Let's just let Tom. Tom's probably the best person to answer this because he's the one that works out um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> so, so Tom, just like very simply, how is your mental preparation? Uh, let's just say you're doing one snatch per minute for 15 minutes. You start at like 185. You had five pounds per minute. How is your focus at 185 and attention to what you're doing? And how does that change as you add weight and you get closer towards your one rep max? Uh, I actually would say it probably doesn't change too much in that scenario going from start to the end of my snatch sets. Mm-hmm. I'm always just trying to focus on the same thing. If it's like, I feel that, uh, I'm not setting my shoulders correctly or not finishing my pull, that kind of thing. I just try to focus on one thing um, for the whole uh, of all snatch sets. But I would say like for training, my mental preparation is uh, just trying to get off my phone and focus on what pieces I have. And then if I have any kind of testing in that training, that's when it's usually like, Nerves are going, but you're just trying to get focused on what the yeah. goal is and stay in the on. moment, Tom. Yeah, yeah. What's well, it's simple, but it's true. Just um, and then obviously, but each person will be different. Like I just like what Jason was saying. Like uh, um, like just depending on what you're doing. Like if you're doing sets of squats at certain percentages, like I I wouldn't need to get amped up for that or or get really dialed in. I would literally just do it because it's it's uh, it's not meant to be a max effort but if i was building up to a really heavy set of something like the previous sets i would just be thinking and anticipating what i'm going to try to do and what loads i'm going to try to do and then once i put the load on that i'm really trying to do um my focus on what i'm doing will be much more uh, attuned and then once i move on to something else it might go down a bit because maybe i'm prepping and practicing something simple and building back up to something else and yeah, it just ebbs and flows. So I don't really know if there's a, a good answer there as to what, like, for a simple mental mental preparation. Um, but the underlying thing would be you want to be focused on what you're doing and paying attention to the details of what you're doing. But then what, what that means will change with the context of what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's a big one for a lot of people, just being focused on the task at hand and getting rid of all the distractions. And for most people in the gym, that's is being on their phone, right? Tom, you made it yeah. With that, scrolling through Instagram on your rests, it's really easy, right? And then you just you kind of you get wrapped up in that, and then all of a sudden your rest period is down, and it's time to go, and you're not mentally prepared for the next set, right? Okay, we'll take a break from George, um, and then Mike from Wales asks, "Will large sporting events, leagues, NFL, EPL, what's the EPL? English Premier League, yeah." Um, being be back as we know them in 2020 um as we know them i would in 2020 i would say as we know them i would say no they're gonna be back but it's gonna look a lot they're gonna be back yeah i'd say by yeah by next year i'll be fine yeah that's fine yeah yeah i I think like i I listened to a hockey podcast on the nhl and they're still hoping to play for the stanley cup in 2020 so that usually doesn't happen in October, but it's probably going to happen. In October. You know what I mean? Like, think about so. how bad the first few games of next year are going to be. <laughs> There's going to be guys like literally just lacing them up for the first day. But the interesting, interesting thing about that is like, if you to get back to that point where they're playing again, like, yeah. like in Sweden, for example, they're allowed to, to 
like those facilities are open. So those guys are able to train and skate and do all that stuff. Whereas here in North America and a lot of other places in the world, you can't do that yet. Right. Um, so it'd be interesting kind of dynamic. Yeah. Um, so Justin from Ontario, again, I think it's Ontario asks risk reward is handstand push up necessary for the average CrossFitter. Uh, and let's just take that from two points, like one being the average CrossFitter in a competitive setting so that they, they have, they want to do like either team competitions or individual competitions or whatever, some type of fun uh, event like that. And then uh, take it from the other side of the per the average CrossFitter that goes to a CrossFit gym. So Scotty. For the average CrossFitter is looking to compete in some capacity, then yes, they need to be in there because it's a function of the sport. It's a modality that you're going to see at every CrossFit competition for the most part. So having exposure to it and practiced it and having some level of competency is going to be important. Um, if you're an average CrossFitter who just trains at a CrossFit gym or likes the style of training for health and lifestyle, uh, no, probably not necessary. Um, and if you don't have the adequate strength to go upside down, then, you know, the risk might be too high for the potential reward that you're going to get out of going upside down because it looks cool. Um, I think there'd be other, other modalities or other movements that you could do to elicit the same training effect without getting yourself inverted against the wall that mm -hmm. probably mitigate some of the risk. Um, okay. Jay. So the competitive, average crossfitter versus the average affiliate crossfitter yeah I, that's a that's a question is like is it worth doing kipping pull-ups it's like mm -hmm. yeah 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 it is i think so as long as you're doing the progressions properly um and kind of mixing in the the strength component with your skill component at the same time um risk versus reward like once you can do them it's awesome yeah. Should you ever be, if you're just an average affiliate person, be trying to do an absolute max set or 50 for time or do Diane without worrying about what the fuck's going to happen with your spine the next day? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's fun, but mm -hmm. that's an individual responsibility too. If you can do them, should you take that upon yourself to smash your head on the ground 45 times? Like, yeah, you, you can't say never do this stuff. That's not realistic. Yeah. So I think a good, uh, I think maybe a good caveat there would be if the average CrossFit person in the affiliate is going to do them, um, they should more often than not never be taking those things to failure or even remotely close to failure to a point where they're losing eccentric control of the movement. Um, and then they're just using, trying to use their cervical spine as a spring which um, I can't remember seeing that in the anatomy books, but yeah. it could be wrong if it works like a spring and recoils. Although I don't think so. Uh, for the average, if you're going to compete, you have to know how to do handstand push-ups. That's just the end of the story. Uh, unfortunately, that's the way the sport is. And I say unfortunately, cause I don't really, I, I don't, I, I would really, I would really like it if handstand push-ups just went away. Cause I just don't, I don't see the why, why you need to do those for, uh, the next 30 years you could just do other things um 
Uh, yeah. So for the average person, I'd say one of the main things being, no, you definitely don't need to. And if you're averse to learning it for some reason, who cares? doesn't matter. Um, if you want to learn it, then like Jason said, you need to make sure you're progressing properly and um, you, you should be having someone trying to help you that's competent. Uh, and before you progress, you want to make sure you can control things. And, um, and the last thing being, you probably never want to take this movement to failure. Like being that you're kicking up on the wall and not sure that when you go down, you're going to come back up. You should basically always go, I know when I go down, I'm coming back up. And I know I can control the descent. And I know I'm going to be able to perform the movement over and over again. And not to a point where you're so dead that you're falling to the floor, your head on the mat. And then you're shaking out your hands. Um, where did I go here? Are we still here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My screen just jumped. That was weird. <laughs> Yeah, so you shouldn't be going to a point where your head on the floor, you're shaking your hands out um, and then doing everything you can to kip and then tweaking your neck. Like that's, there's no sense in doing that. So yeah, that's pretty clear. Tom, your favorite movement? What's your comments? Uh, I don't have anything to add. I wish I'd get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but like uh, why? Why would you want them to get rid of it? Is it because so then you can go to the games really easily? Or that's it. it. <laughs> But seriously, I just I I uh, I think the move I think it's actually a cool movement because I just I think it looks cool. Um, but I just like I I yeah I just don't under I I don't see the value in it, right? You know what I mean? Like I don't see the value in doing that movement. Um, I, I just don't because again, you're having to put people through this over and over. And again, the, the key thing being, if it's in competition, people are going to train for it. It means they're going to have to do a lot of training for it. So it means you're going to make them be exposed to this movement over and over and over throughout the year. Um, and the argument would always be, well, they don't have to. I'm like, what? They're competitive and they want to win. So the easiest solution is to remove it from the competition and then people just won't do it. Um, and I, I feel the exact same way about rebounding box jumps, the exact same answer. Uh, there's no point. I don't, I don't, I don't see the upside doing it. Why would you do it? You can just take them out of the competition. There's no point. But that's a that's an aside. Uh, okay, we're gonna go back. So next question is from Nathan, Nathan Corgill from the mean streets of uh, where is he from? Where is it in Manitoba? He is. What's it called? Yeah. Melita. Is it Melita? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so Nate asks, what drugs to take to beat Matt Brady? <laughs> I don't know. I think like. Tom, I think he needs to take Nate definitely needs to take some type of specific ankle knee lubricants <laughs> and some shortening agents yeah and some shortening agents especially of those forearms just to tighten those bad boys up they knock out those handstand push-ups and uh yeah and like yeah I think you know Nathan Nathan can do really well especially if he gets those um those lubricants and there's no pistols or anything like he could definitely take Matt on and no running and no skipping. <laughs> no squatting. Really eliminating a lot here. Yeah, but you know, that's like if you if you make them fair rules, like you the event is performed above parallel. I think Nate Nate can hold his own with anyone. He was recently messaging me about the last outside the box workout with uh what was it, Isabel, Fran, yep. Grace or whatever. And he's he was I still remember when I beat Matt Brady because he had put up a post 
about beating me in uh, the Can West qualifier workout. So funny. That's great. He said the people um, don't forget. Okay, a question from uh, Tom. Not this Tom. So for CrossFit, single modality. So he means air bike, row, probably means skier as well. Training versus sustainable mixed modal sets. And the follow-up on his question was, I mean, a client um, that has limited time to train each week and he has to be better at rowing in general. Is it better to aim just for rowing and stop doing something else or implement rowing to the training of upper body? So basically just, um, just implement rowing into mixed scenarios versus training uh, or working on rowing in spe like specific. So just quickly, I uh, always go back to the metrics of it going. Um, so if you just have the, so you're talking with a guy, you have his size, let's say, you know, in just simple numbers, he's six feet tall, 200 pounds. And he's been, you know, in CrossFit or training for that for a while. If he can't row close to seven minutes, then, uh, then uh, for two kilometers, then he needs to work on rowing. Like that's pretty basic for someone that size. You should be able to row seven minutes. Um, and if you're more like seven ten, seven fifteen, you you really need to work on your ability to row uh, and your endurance with rowing. So um, I, I would say just depends on what you're talking about. Now, if you have someone who's like they need to get better at rowing, need to move down from like six forty five in a two k to like six thirty five, that's that's a different discussion. A similar discussion as if you had someone saying they need to get better at running. Their five k is currently twenty five minutes. Um, and they're, they want to be really competitive, you would go, okay, um, that's, that's not good. Uh, and it needs to be much lower than that. So the, the way to get better at running is you would focus on the running modality itself to a certain point. Um, and what that point is, it'll probably um, vary per person because there's going to be a point of diminishing returns, I guess, on what you're going to invest for uh, with these modalities. So <clears throat> it, uh, it really depends. But I would say just if the person is limited on time, uh, if they're again, just with the metrics, if they're, if their rowing is considered not good, I would probably spend more time just rowing to improve that ability and then transition it out. But if there's someone who's actually pretty good at rowing, um, and just say, when I say pretty good at rowing, like just rowing on its own, uh, then yeah, you can easily maintain their ability and then just put it into a sport context, uh, scenario of being, of the, having the sets and the work scenarios being mixed format. Yeah, Jason made a good point earlier um, when we were discussing this before we started recording about like why are they bad at rowing? You know, is it mm -hmm. simply just like an endurance issue, or is there like some sort of mechanical deficiency that's going on there? Like they just don't move well. Yeah. Then that's just another argument for doing it by itself, right? Like if they if they if they hinge poorly, which we've all had clients that hinge poorly, and that carries over into the rower and the rowing mm -hmm. technique, and then they experience a lot of local fatigue. And they're not necessarily that tired, but their body just starts breaking down as a result, especially when you get into the longer pieces of rowing. So putting that on its own and just reinforcing um, mechanics, maybe they're, they're maybe they're even rowing at a slower pace just to make sure they're maintaining mechanics over, you know, a certain number of sets or for a certain time domain um, and working on that would be more beneficial than doing it in a mixed setting where they're, accumulating more fatigue with different modalities before they go back to the rower. Yeah. It could even just be like a mental aversion to the rower. <laughs> like spend yeah. more time on the rower until you mm -hmm. are comfortable doing it. 
and then I'll, then it kind of takes care of itself because you're not tense and hating being there. It's kind of like me running right now. <laughs> I want to see some Instagram stories. <laughs> <laughs> kilometer one, kilometer three, kilometer seven. <laughs> yeah. It'd be even better if you had headphones on and you couldn't hear yourself breathing. Yeah. Be like, people be like, what's that wheezing noise? Yeah, I, like, I swear I'm not sick. Quick <laughs> <laughs> letting you out of the balloon. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, after my run yesterday, actually, I was breathing like that. I had like this raspiness to my, my, my lungs. And I'm at the bottom of where I, where I started from the run. And I'm like coughing. And I'm like... <coughs> And people, people, of course, people walking by just like, <gasps> like, no, I'm, I was exercising. <laughs> I'm totally healthy. I think. Um, okay. Uh, what else? We have a question. Oh, last question from, um, or sorry, next. Yeah. Last question from coach Sam Smith. With regards to your designing methods for programming, what areas have evolved the most for you over the last five to seven years? Oh, that's a good question. I love those questions because it's basically the whole premise of our changed my mind topics. Um, so what, have, what has evolved? Um, I would say, and, it, and it's like, I would say when I design when I design training sessions, I'm, I'm more, I basically, I'm, I'm more, I'm trying to be more in tune or um, designing them more in terms of uh, trying to ensure like adequate challenge as opposed to just trying to make sure they fit a certain uh, criteria of layout for energy systems and physiology. Uh, and I'm trying to ensure uh, with the challenge, there's the opportunity to try to provide confidence for athletes in certain scenarios, like even more so with that. And again, again, that's, that's taken differently from uh, just designing it to make sure it fits a really nice work set repeat. Um, and then having context in mind of the requirements of the individual for motivation within these scenarios to perform to the desire I'm asking them. Um, so very simply like, uh, like it's like basically if you do a 10 minute work set of like five step down box jumps and five calories on the skier yeah you're gonna go back and forth a lot but you don't really have to dig deep that much to make that happen you can just do it versus if you do one where you have like uh a one kilometer on the skier and then do as many thrusters as 65 pounds the remaining time like you in order to get the what you're looking for out of it you're gonna have to have the right person perform it um because for me, if I was going to go do that right now, I would mail that in so hard because I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mangle myself on the, on the remaining six minutes of thrusters um, because it doesn't match my motivational state and I'm just not going to do it. Um, so I, like, in, in, so that's what I mean. Like in terms of trying to get what, like I would say, trying to, trying to understand the athlete and trying to just trying to design things to basically match the behavior I'm trying to get from them. Uh, as well as trying to be much better with matching their um, their abilities and trying to be trying to create a ch like a just enough challenge for them, and then always trying to be cognizant of tr of always trying to nurture confidence to a certain extent, um, while still having um, having challenge built into it. Because again, five seven years ago it was only uh, 2013, 2015. 
so that's probably what's changed the most in that time. And just, uh, yeah, um, what else really? There's lots, there's lots of little things like over the course last five, seven years. Like I don't really, pres I used to prescribe like West side speed work for deadlifts quite often. Uh, like two reps at, you know, between 50 or 60%, maybe starting in week one on the minute for uh, 10 to 12 minutes with resetting between reps, focusing on speed. I generally don't do that at all anymore. Um, what else? Um, what else? Real big ones. Hmm. I've gotten much better at designing uh, core work, I would say, or core work and thinking about that and trying to make it appropriate for the person and what they're doing. Um, yeah, that'd probably be the main things. Oh, and the uh, single modality designs <clears throat> for biking, rowing, um, running skier. Uh, I've definitely left behind the classical work rest scenarios. It's not that I don't do them or I don't prescribe them for people. I just don't see them as being that valuable for the context of the sport, which we alluded to in a, maybe the first change my mind thing about treating those things as playing and playing for playing uh, or training for soccer, as opposed to training for distance running. Scott. Yeah. Again, kind of goes back to our first change my mind and just programming, programming things that people are good at. Yeah. even if you don't necessarily need them in the programming, just keep motivation high. And, yeah. you know, really going back to that whole motivation piece, like you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago, but um, you know, having in having someone squat, you know, maybe once a week when they really, they don't need to be front squatting, for example, and they don't really don't need to be front squatting mm -hmm. that frequently um, because they like doing it or someone doing a tough CrossFit style workout when it's really not the, the time of year to be doing that, or it's not, you know, the time in their training that they need to be doing that. Uh, but they really like doing, they get a lot of enjoyment out of really working that hard and digging that deep in that style of, of or the, in that format of training, um, because it will keep their motivation high and, and it'll keep it here inside. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just good for, you know, a good working relationship if they're asking for something because they like doing it. It doesn't necessarily have any, any merit or weight to the program and them actually improving and you choose to ignore their request, then there's just going to be some resentment that builds up there. And so giving them little touches of it here and there, again, keeps their motivation high and keeps them adhering to the program for hopefully a long period of time. Jason. I think just to keep it simple, the, uh, the duration of efforts has, has increased quite a lot because I was definitely biased towards the CrossFit style, short and sweet, just pound yourself into the ground and then you're done kind of thing. Um, but that limits how, how much training you can do, how much, um, what kind of exposure you're getting to, like just being able to do like a 10 minute set instead of something that's five sets of two minutes repeating. And be like, okay, hey, now you're gonna do this for 10 minutes, continuous effort. It's like, holy shit, it's a completely different game. It's a very, very different game. I mean, it, it may not, it can even be harder in some, in some scenarios too, where you're just like, you have to keep moving for 10 minutes um, and then 
you're going to rest and then repeat it and rest and repeat it. Like that's, that's, it's hard, man. And you don't, you don't get good at it unless you actually do it, no matter how much on either end of really short and sweet or long duration efforts where it's easy, you have to hit that middle part, which is, is hard, man. Hard. With the longer pieces too, it allows athletes that maybe didn't have the exposure to it before to learn how to pace themselves and know when to push, when not to push. So there's a huge learning opportunity there for those people, right? Not just physiological changes that happen, but knowing how they perform and what scenarios and, you know, what they can do, what they can't do. If they do this, will they get into trouble? You know, exposure into that is invaluable. That's a, that's a massive change over my previous uh, strategy of, of like, this and this and then kind of missing something that exposure in the middle tom uh just the way i designed uh, or training as well but a lot of that's been like conversations with you throughout the years been trying to find the right approach to giving enough challenge that it makes sense in the context of the sport yeah. rather than doing like uh row repeat sets or bike repeat sets yeah, just to follow up, because uh, again, Jason, Jason mentioned the same thing, which uh, and Scott said the same thing about the first. Uh, again, I don't know if it was the first, but one of our previous changed in my mind episodes, and one of my comments was on the 30, 30, 30 intervals, and that's definitely something that's changed um, in the last five to seven years. I like I still prescribe 30, 30 second work, thirty second recovery intervals, but why I do them is much different now than what I did them before, and I definitely use them less. Um, and they're not a priority in most people's training unless someone's a real beginner I would say um, they're usually used for a certain they're used for different reasons now um, and like Jason said most of the if I give interval work most of the interval work is longer specifically just simple like it's at least it's usually at least a minute long um, more so like a minute to the most common things I prescribe are between a minute and 10 minutes for work durations, but I do prescribe shorter than a minute and I do prescribe longer than 10 minutes, but most frequently it falls into that one to 10 minute work time. If it's going to be either a, a repeatable efforts or whatever. And then another thing that I just thought about was, um, uh, basically, uh, uh, I would say allowing for more creativeness for me within designing the training, which hopefully allows um, the client athlete to, um, to maybe just be more engaged in the training. So instead of always having things being uh, specific work times and having things laid out exactly perfect, which I was very much uh, used to doing uh, years ago, um, then I would say like now, instead of just saying like, okay, now every Wednesday is going to be 10 minute on five minute off. I'm, I'm more likely to be okay with providing people actual like couplets and triplets that are going to be more uh, that are going to, that are going to, perform the function i'm asking for um that might like you know it might be less less uh beneficial in my physiology brain but i think it'll be it it could be equally efficient or equally effective and potentially more effective um for the for the motivated athlete that wants to perform wants to engage in those activities does that make sense you know what i'm talking about there thanks for tuning in if you like the episode and know someone else that will please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, 
send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners, and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to OptimumPerformanceCalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.